If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Madrid. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Western Michigan University Homer Stryker MD School of Medicine in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I have an interest in pathology. I'll be narrating Chapter 16, The Reproductive System, of Crush Step 1, Second Edition. We'll begin by discussing female reproductive anatomy. Of course, nothing beats a diagram, so please be sure to check out Figure 16.1 for an overview of the female reproductive anatomy. The infundibulopelvic ligament is also known as the suspensory ligament of the ovaries. It connects the ovaries to the pelvic wall and contains the ovarian blood vessels. The ovarian ligament connects the ovaries to the lateral surface of the uterus. It does not contain any vessels. The round ligament connects the uterine fundus to the labia majora by passing through the deep inguinal ring. The round ligament is a derivative of the embryologic gubernaculum. The cardinal ligament connects the cervix to the pelvic sidewall. It contains the uterine blood vessels. The broad ligament connects the ovaries, fallopian tubes, and uterus to the pelvic floor and sidewall. It's made up of three parts, the mesosalpinx, the mesovarium, and the mesometrium. The pouch of Douglas is the anatomic space between the rectum and the uterus. 
It can be palpated via a digital rectal exam. It's an important anatomic area because it can be a collecting site of blood from, for example, a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, pus from pelvic inflammatory disease, malignant cells from ovarian cancer, or endometrial implants from endometriosis. It's also called the recto-uterine pouch for the two surrounding organs. Also important to remember is the course of the female ureters. They cross over the bifurcation of the common iliac arteries, then lateral to the internal iliac arteries. They enter the retroperitoneal space in the uterosacral ligaments, then the cardinal ligaments, and dive under the uterine artery. Remember, water under the bridge, water being urine and the bridge being the artery. The ureters are sometimes injured in surgeries involving ligation of the uterine artery because of their anatomic proximity. Next, we'll discuss male reproductive anatomy, beginning with the pathway of sperm. The pathway of sperm can be remembered by the mnemonic 7-UP. S, standing for seminiferous tubules, which is where sperm is created. E, for epididymis, which is where the sperm is stored. V, for the vas deferens. E for ejaculatory ducts, N for nothing, U for urethra, and P for the penile urethra. 7-up is the pathway of sperm. Semen is composed of seminal vesicle fluid, prostatic fluid, and sperm. Seminal vesicle fluid makes up the majority of semen at 70% and contains fructose and ascorbic acid. Prostatic fluid makes up about 20% of semen, and contains zinc, citric acid, and enzymes that help sustain sperm. And finally, sperm makes up the remaining 10%. Now let's discuss the male sexual response. In order for an erection to occur, the parasympathetic fibers in the pelvic plexus release nitric oxide which increases cyclic GMP, resulting in smooth muscle relaxation of the helicine artery, which results in increased blood flow into the paired corpus cavernosa and the corpus spongiosum. During emission, smooth muscle contractions by the vas deferens and ejaculatory ducts push sperm into the prostatic urethra. This is a sympathetic response from the hypogastric nerve. You can remember the neurologic components of the male sexual response with the mnemonic point and shoot. Erection, point, is a parasympathetic response, whereas emission, shoot, is a sympathetic response. Point and shoot. During ejaculation, sperm is released through the urethra as a result of a somatic response from the pudendal nerve. Next, we'll discuss the male and female gonadal drainage. It's important to understand the venous and lymphatic drainage of the male and female gonads. And in order to help you out, you should refer to figure 16.5. The venous drainage of the right ovary or testis is into the right ovarian or testicular vein, and then into the inferior vena cava. The venous drainage of the left ovary or testis is into the left ovarian or testicular vein, then into the left renal vein, and then into the inferior vena cava. The extra step in the left testicular venous drainage causes increased hydrostatic pressure, 
That is why varicoceles are more common on the left side. The lymphatic drainage from the ovaries or testes is into the paraaortic nodes. This drainage pattern occurs because the ovaries and testes descended from the abdomen with their blood source from the aorta. The lymphatic drainage of the scrotum and distal third of the vagina is into the superficial inguinal nodes. The uterus and proximal two-thirds of the vagina drain into the external iliac, obturator, and hypogastric nodes. We'll begin our discussion on reproductive physiology by discussing the hypothalamic-pituitary-gonadal axis. The hypothalamus secretes gonadotropin-releasing hormone, abbreviated GNRH, in a pulsatile fashion to stimulate the anterior pituitary to produce luteinizing hormone, or LH, and follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. If GNRH were secreted continuously, it would paradoxically suppress the production of LH and FSH. In males, LH stimulates Leydig cells to secrete testosterone. FSH stimulates Sertoli cells to maintain spermatogenesis. Some testosterone is further converted by 5-alpha reductase into the more potent dihydrotestosterone, or DHT. As in most of the endocrine system, a negative feedback loop maintains homeostasis. For example, administration of exogenous testosterone decreases LH, FSH, and testicular synthesis of testosterone. Notably, because spermatogenesis requires high local concentrations of testosterone in the seminiferous tubules, administering exogenous testosterone actually inhibits spermatogenesis because it will not be sufficiently concentrated in the testicles. Also important to know is that dihydrotestosterone, or DHT, is the most potent androgen, followed by testosterone, and finally by androstenedione. In females, LH stimulates theca cells to secrete androgens. FSH stimulates granulosa cells to convert those androgens into estradiol by aromatization. FSH, as the name implies, helps stimulate and mature the ovarian follicles. Of note, estrogen refers to a group of hormones, unlike testosterone, which is a single molecule. In humans, estradiol is the most potent estrogen. It's produced by the ovary and is the most abundant estrogen in premenopausal women. Estrone is less potent. Adipose tissue produces estrone by aromatization of androstenedione, released from the adrenal cortex and gonads, through the enzyme aromatase. Because estrone production does not require ovaries, it is the most abundant estrogen in postmenopausal women and in men. Estriol is the least potent estrogen and is only present in significant levels during pregnancy. The placenta produces estriol by aromatization of fetal androgens. It can be used as a marker of fetal well-being. Now let's discuss spermatogenesis. Sertoli cells are tall columnar support cells that nurture spermatogenesis. They're located in the parenchyma of the seminiferous tubules and are stimulated by FSH. At puberty, Sertoli cells form tight junctions with each other, creating the basal and adluminal compartment 
and the blood testis barrier. This barrier protects the maturing sperm in the adluminal compartment from autoimmune attack because they otherwise would be seen as foreign cells. Sertoli cells secrete three products. The first, inhibin, which provides negative feedback and inhibits FSH secretion that normally would stimulate the Sertoli cells. The second, androgen binding protein, or ABP, which maintains a high testosterone level in the seminiferous tubules. And the third, mullerian inhibiting hormone, which during fetal development inhibits the default female mullerian system from developing. Leydig cells are endocrine cells in the interstitium or stroma that secrete testosterone. They're stimulated by LH. Testosterone helps increase sperm production and libido. Remember, however, because spermatogenesis requires a high concentration of testosterone within the seminiferous tubules, exogenous administration of testosterone will decrease spermatogenesis. Spermatogonia are the most immature spermatogenic cells, located close to the basement membrane of the seminiferous tubules, and divide by mitosis to regenerate. Spermatogenesis begins at puberty and continues throughout a healthy man's life. Sperm cells develop over approximately 64 days. Let's briefly review the process of spermatogenesis. You can follow along in figure 16.7 in your text. The process begins in the testes with spermatogonia. The most immature spermatogenic cells, they're located close to the basement membrane of the seminiferous tubules. They divide by mitosis. One of the daughter cells serves as a stem cell and remains near the basement membrane. The other daughter cell starts the differentiation process and becomes a primary spermatocyte. The primary spermatocyte migrates towards the adluminal compartment and undergoes meiosis I to become a secondary spermatocyte. Failure of meiosis I results in primary spermatocyte accumulation. The secondary spermatocyte undergoes meiosis II very quickly and becomes a spermatid. Failure of meiosis II results in accumulation of secondary spermatocytes. Spermatids undergo spermiogenesis, the process whereby spermatids transform into mature spermatozoa. Spermiogenesis results in a decreased amount of cytoplasm, formation of a flagellum, derived from a centriole, and an acrosome, derived from the Golgi apparatus. The head of a mature sperm contains chromatin and acrosomal enzymes needed for penetration of the ovum's outer zona pellucida. The midpiece contains abundant mitochondria for ATP production. The tail contains specialized cilia for efficient transport. Before we begin discussing female physiology, let's review the male and female hormones. You can follow along with Table 16.1 in your text. Estradiol is produced from the ovarian granulosa cell conversion of theca cell androgens. Estrone is produced from the adipose tissue conversion of adrenocortical androgen. And estriol is produced via the placental conversion of fetal androgen. The estrogens function in the development of female secondary sex characteristics. They increase HDL, 
They decrease LDL. They're responsible for follicular growth, endometrial proliferation, and hyperplasia. And they increase myometrial contractions. Testosterone is produced by the Leydig cells in the testes under stimulation of LH. Functions of testosterone include the in utero maturation of internal genitalia, except for the prostate, and during puberty, the further growth spurt, deepening of the voice, increased libido, and the epiphyseal plate closure. DHT is synthesized from the conversion of testosterone via the enzyme 5-alpha reductase. And in utero, functions in the virilization of external genitalia. During the postpubertal period, it contributes to benign prostatic hyperplasia and balding. Progesterone is produced in the corpus luteum, the placenta, and the adrenal cortex. And remember, progesterone is progestation. The goal is to maintain pregnancy. Progesterone will cause an increase in the secretory endometrium. Progesterone also decreases myometrial contractions through smooth muscle relaxation and decreases estrogen receptors. Progesterone also thickens the cervical mucus. It's also important to understand the effects of testosterone and estrogens on sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG. Estrogens will increase the synthesis of SHBG in the liver. They'll also increase synthesis of other transport proteins. SHBG has a higher affinity for testosterone than it does for estrogen. So when there is high SHBG, testosterone binds first, thus decreasing free testosterone. Testosterone, however, decreases synthesis of SHBG, so it increases free testosterone levels. Obesity and hypothyroidism can also decrease SHBG levels, thus increasing free testosterone, leading to hirsutism. We'll begin our discussion of female physiology by discussing the menstrual cycle. The menstrual cycle is diagrammed in figure 16.8 in your text. The menstrual cycle normally lasts 28 days, plus or minus 7 days, with day 1 defined as the day menstruation begins. The cycle is divided into a follicular phase, before ovulation, and a luteal phase, after ovulation. The follicular or proliferative phase. Ovarian follicles are spherical ovarian structures that contain oocytes, theca cells, and granulosa cells. They are the basic unit of female reproductive physiology. The follicular phase of the menstrual cycle refers to the growth of the follicles through various stages. In the early follicular phase, during menstruation, estrogen levels are low, which means the anterior pituitary can produce abundant LH and FSH without much negative feedback. FSH stimulates several ovarian follicles to grow and will eventually create a dominant follicle. As the ovarian follicles grow, they will produce more and more estrogen. Although increasing estrogen will inhibit FSH production, the dominant follicle will upregulate FSH receptors, which will increase their sensitivity to FSH, 
so estrogen levels can continue to rise. At the end of the follicular phase, estrogen switches from a negative feedback loop with the pituitary to a positive feedback loop. This creates a surge of LH, which causes rupture of the dominant follicle and release of its oocyte into the fallopian tube. There is also a smaller surge of FSH at this time, the significance of which is unknown. The follicular phase is also known as the proliferative phase because during this time, the endometrium, or the lining of the uterus, sees mostly estrogen, so the glands are proliferating. Histologically, the glands appear short, narrow, and slightly wavy. Of note, in the preovulatory phase, the LH surge causes the granulosa cells to make progesterone, released 24 hours before ovulation, causing the increase in basal body temperature, and prostaglandins. The luteal or secretory phase. The luteal phase refers to the corpus luteum, or yellow body, which forms from the follicle once the oocyte has been expelled. The theca cells in the corpus luteum produce estrogen and progesterone. These hormones again provide negative feedback on LH and FSH, resulting in their declining levels. The luteal phase is also known as the secretory phase because the elevated progesterone causes the endometrium to become secretory as it prepares for implantation. The corpus luteum degenerates in a fixed two weeks if it is not stimulated by HCG, or human chorionic gonadotropin. The degenerated corpus luteum is now called the corpus albicans, or white body. The loss of the corpus luteum causes a decline in estrogen and, more significantly, progesterone. Without progesterone to support it, the endometrial lining is sloughed off and menstruation occurs. If the corpus luteum is rescued by pregnancy and HCG produced by the conceptus, it will linger for 8 to 10 weeks until the placenta takes over producing progesterone, which is required for the maintenance of the pregnancy. Of note, the luteal phase is fixed at 14 days long, which is the amount of time the corpus luteum can survive without HCG, whereas the length of the follicular phase may vary. It is therefore the follicular phase that is responsible for the variability in the length of a woman's menstrual cycle. Oogenesis. You can follow along in figure 16.9 from your text. During the first month of fetal life, germ cells of a female embryo undergo extensive mitosis to become oogonia. By the third month of gestation, these oogonia enter meiosis 1 and pass through the different phases of prophase 1. They are now called primary oocytes, and these primary oocytes are arrested in prophase 1 until puberty. Hours before ovulation, these primary oocytes complete meiosis 1 and become secondary oocytes. Immediately, these secondary oocytes enter meiosis 2 and are arrested in metaphase 2 until fertilization. Once fertilization occurs, meiosis 2 is complete and becomes a mature ovum. Pregnancy and HCG Fertilization Once ovulation has occurred, the secondary oocyte can typically survive for 24 hours before it degenerates. 
The ampullary portion of the fallopian tube is the most common location of fertilization. From there, the fertilized egg typically spends an average of three days in the fallopian tube and then two days in the uterine cavity, where it will implant on day six. Hormones of pregnancy Human growth hormone, human placental lactogen, prolactin, progesterone, and estriol are all increased during pregnancy. Human chorionic gonadotropin is produced by the syncytiotrophoblast of the placenta, peaks at about 9 to 10 weeks gestation, and then falls. In the first trimester, HCG functions by binding to the LH receptor on the corpus luteum and stimulates it to produce progesterone. The beta subunit of HCG is used clinically as the first indicator of pregnancy. It is detectable in the blood by one week of gestation and in the urine by two weeks gestation. The peak level of beta-HCG in a normal pregnancy is 90,000 to 100,000 milliIUs per mil. Anything significantly higher than this usually signifies a pathologic state, such as a molar pregnancy or gestational trophoblastic disease. The alpha subunit of HCG is identical to the alpha subunit of LH, FSH, and TSH. Progesterone is initially produced by the corpus luteum, but by gestational week 12, the placenta produces enough progesterone to maintain pregnancy. Remember, everything it does is progestation. It increases secretory endometrium in preparation for implantation, it decreases myometrium contractility, and it thickens cervical mucus. Progesterone is a marker of fetal viability in early pregnancy. The smooth muscle relaxation that progesterone causes is responsible for some of the physiologic changes seen in pregnancy, such as decreased peripheral vascular resistance. Estriol, as discussed earlier, is produced by the placenta by aromatization of fetal androgens. It can be used as a marker of fetal well-being later in pregnancy. Human placental lactogen is produced by the syncytiotrophoblasts of the placenta. It decreases maternal insulin sensitivity and thus raises maternal serum glucose levels. Maintaining adequate glucose is crucial to fetal development. Prolactin is involved in milk production and simultaneously inhibits GnRH, serving as a natural form of contraception for the first six weeks post-delivery. Oxytocin is produced by the posterior pituitary. During pregnancy, the uterus upregulates oxytocin receptors so that an oxytocin surge at the onset of labor facilitates uterine contractions. It is also involved in the letdown of milk that was already produced through the actions of prolactin. Corticotropin-releasing hormone is a hypothalamic hormone involved in the cortisol pathway, thought to induce the beginning phases of labor. Menopause Physiologic menopause occurs after 40 years of age, with the average age being 51 years. Most women experience perimenopausal symptoms for 3-5 to five years preceding menopause, after which time anovulation, amenorrhea, and menopausal symptoms occur. The physiology behind menopause is the gradual loss of ovarian follicles, 
leading to decreased estradiol production and thus increases in LH and FSH. The rise in LH and FSH can be used to diagnose menopause when the cause of amenorrhea is uncertain. Estrone becomes the principal estrogen that continues to circulate through peripheral conversion of androgens. Symptoms of menopause include hot flashes, night sweats, amenorrhea, and mood swings. Conditions associated with menopause include atrophic vaginitis, urinary incontinence, cardiovascular disease due to decreased HDL and increased LDL, and osteoporosis. Risk factors for osteoporosis include fair skin, thin body habitus, smoking, alcohol and caffeine intake, and positive family history. The most common osteoporotic fracture site is the vertebral bodies. Menopause before 40 years of age can indicate premature ovarian failure, which can be caused by oophorectomy, radiation, chemotherapy, infection, autoimmune conditions, or mosaic karyotype. Thank you for listening. The next part will be over pathology of the reproductive system. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.